You're tuned into the God Stories Radio Podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com And welcome to God Stories Radio. This is Session 19. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm just fired up, Mike. Uh, This is God Stories Radio, uh, designed to bring hope and encouragement. Right. And you did say Session 19, didn't you? I did say Session 19. All right. Almost to the big 2-0. Really. And uh, the guy we have tonight, we've been trying to get for a little bit, uh, but he's finally here. He is finally Uh, here. And I, I, I feel like I should have recorded you know what we were talking about prior to the show because i'm fired up about that prison ministry and maybe he'll talk a little bit more about it he will you know post testimony or whatnot but so uh, fritz how was your week oh man today as most of you know uh aubrey had to undergo some emergency surgery because her portacath and her chest uh, got a crack in it so they couldn't do uh her dialysis so uh they took her in to surgery and it was a little challenging to to pull it and put another one but they were able to do so and get her dialysis and and god's just good and i i just want to thank all my all my brothers and sisters that knew about it all for praying and just a great day something that could have turned out bad turned out for the good Mm -hmm. praise god my week was uh pretty good uh, God, uh, I, I believe this is why it happened, showed me uh, some of his love uh, during the week. Uh, Wednesday, I think it was. Actually, it was you that walked into the store, and this has never happened before. You mm-hmm. walked in and said you just felt the need to walk in and ask how I was doing. And and then the next day, two other guys walked in at different times, and it was three guys in two days that walked in and had the urge to come in and walk in and, and, and ask me how I was doing and so on and so forth. And I mean, it's just God that, uh, I believe that was just showing his love that Amen. It, it is it's something else. I had a similar occurrence this week as well. You know, brother Michael Decker, the one that was, uh, uh, did, uh, from war to Jesus. And he said, uh, God shows me people's faces and I pray for them. And this week, you know, God showed him my face, and he's been texting me even before he knew there was a problem with Aubrey right. and whatnot. So but, uh, that pretty, is kind of cool else. how God encourages us right. along is. the way. It's something else. Speaking of encouragement, Allah across the table from me is Mr. Isaac. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We've got him strapped to the chair. He's going to give his testimony tonight. So we're going to be quiet and uh, just let you take it away, my friend. Do you have to have the gun to my head? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll put it away. It's all yours there, Isaac. Hey, guys, how you doing? Youngest of six, five boys, one girl. I grew up in Florida. Uh, Not your average household or upbringing. There was never a, what I thought was normal was far from normal. Um, Grew up in a very abusive home. Uh, father, uh, and now before we get started, I'm gonna make this clear. I love my father. I choose to remember the good things, but for the sake of testimony, I will tell you the whole story. 
very abusive. He drank a lot, drugs, uh, physically, spiritually, mentally, sexually abused pretty much all his children. And what I considered normal sitting down at a dinner table was like a circus. Pretty much to my recollection, I remember as far as I can remember back, uh, there was never a normal dinner. Of, no, there was never a time we'd sit down that a plate wouldn't fly across the room or the table get turned over or one of my brothers end up my dad and my brothers, you know, my dad beating the garbage out of my brothers. And um, I remember running, climbing under a little wooden uh, end table and just sitting there crying, telling them, stop, stop, stop. And that was pretty much normal. I was pretty much a mama's boy. Didn't really know my dad. I knew he's someone that come home and uh, you did what he said. You didn't give him no back talk, no relationship whatsoever. Uh, just a hard man. And I remember we'd be out in the street playing, and uh, he'd call me to, just to come inside to make him a soda. He'd say, get me a Pepsi. And I had to stop playing football out in the street and come in to get him a drink. And just lazy and, and just, you know, really a horrible example of what a man should be. Me being the youngest of six, five boys, one girl. All my brothers, you know, I'm looking up them to manhood, for manhood, you know, for guidance. The, pretty much the picture I got all my life was the guy with the most money and the most things and the girls, all the girls. guy who gets the most girls, the most money and has the most stuff is, is the man. Looking back at that, the craziness that was going on, um, I, like I said, I was a mama's boy. My mother, at the point she had been married to my father 24 years and she was contemplating either suicide or leaving him and she chose to leave him and that broke me that crushed me you know she pretty much abandoned me and at the time i didn't understand that so she left me with this horrible man that she couldn't deal with no more now later on i found out it was the best thing she did because you know suicide or or leaving him and uh, for good reason but at the time i didn't understand and she leaves me with this horrible man J just so happens at the time she leaves, shortly after that, my next door neighbor was going, or one of my neighbors was going to go sign up for baseball. And I was like, man, I wanted to play baseball. So I remember uh, telling my dad I wanted to sign up for baseball. And he says, if you want to play baseball, you got to go down and sign up yourself. I'm not taking you down there. So I walked down there and I signed up for baseball, got on the team, come back, told my father. And he's like, oh, good, you know. So my brothers got kind of jealous. They said they want to play baseball, so they went down and signed up. So I kind of started something. <laughs> and uh, we, was, we grew up poor, you know, youngest of six. My dad, he odd jobs off and on. But um, I remember showing up for my first day of baseball practice. I show up, and the coach looks at me and says, hey, boy, where's your shoes? I says, shoes? Because I never wore shoes in Florida. I come home from school shoes came off I mean I had feet like leather on the bottoms he said you can't play baseball here without shoes well he said where's your cleats mm -hmm. I was like what's a cleat I didn't know <laughs> well and he says and he showed me he goes can you afford a pair I says I don't know how much are they and anyhow long story short uh, my dad found out I was really good at baseball where he found I was good at baseball he kind of dove right into it 
he went and took me and got me the best cleats the best glove i mean we're poor and i'm like dad that's a 50 dollar glove or you know back in this is back in the 70s or 80s and um because i was good he could go out there and brag and um and it kind of changed him um but i was an extremely good baseball and football player uh it's funny i was playing baseball i'm coming in the home plate and the catcher has the ball and i remember if he drops the ball I'm not out. So I run into home plate and I plow him over and hit him and knock the ball loose. And I touch home and the umpire says, you're out. And I says, I'm out. He said, you can't knock the guy down. And you know, so I thought if you could knock the ball out of his hand. No, as if he drops the ball, you can't just plow him over. So they said, we want you to sign up for football. The coaches did. So I played football and baseball and I excelled. I was very good. I'm surprised you were able to get signed up without a, a parent signature oh this true too yeah this is back in the day i'm 48 so that was probably 30 years ago no good old boy network yeah (laughs) (laughs) dixie youth baseball there you go but um and and i had a couple coaches that really liked me and uh that's where i got my nickname ike is uh mr tobin uh would call me we're just gonna call you ike instead of isaac i said well it's fine i don't care i kind of liked it for a long time Uh, i remember uh always feeling empty something missing you know my mom's gone and then for a short time my dad kind of abandoned me he went to work out of town and i remember feeling lonely and lost um and let me go back this a little bit when i was about i'm guessing between 10 12 years old i remember uh my friend next door neighbor his mom would always make him go to church so i'd go to church it's funny my name's isaac and everybody used to always say, you know your name's in the Bible. I'd say, yeah, but the only reason why I knew is because my mom told me. I didn't know nothing about who Isaac was or anybody in the Bible. I knew Moses and Jesus, but I remember probably 10, 12 years old, distinctly knowing that there is a God and that if this guy Jesus, his son, died on the cross for me, I wanted that. And I remember distinctly at a young age, trying to pursue not a relationship but try to walk this walk you know no cussing no acting just being mean mm-hmm. you know like we like young young people are and it always lasts about two weeks three weeks and i was like who could possibly do this and i remember through my life i'd try it and it, it was always i'd try it on my own never read the bible because i couldn't understand it and I remember distinctly um, falling flat on my face. Maybe the longest I ever would do it would be two to six months. And it was all like hard knuckle, fighting it, trying hard. Always end up somehow or another back in the same old, same old guy. Mm-hmm. You know, then as I got older, started drinking. I remember the first time I drank, it made me feel better because I didn't know at the time I was kind of like a damaged person that my life wasn't normal, that uh, it gave me a sense of relief, sense of uh, esteem. Uh, I could have courage to talk to people. And and I was always, I guess, kind of a leader, but um, when I would drink, I was bold and, you know. Liquid courage. Liquid courage. (laughs) So, I mean, I remember um, getting to where, you know, drinking really wasn't cutting it no more because, you know, it's short-lived, that, that little bit of uh, whatever you get from it, that confidence. Um, and I remember the first time, I was 18 years old, ever doing uh, cocaine. And I remember 
to the clear as day, I snorted a line and I thought, this is it. This is the answer. You know, and everything bad went away and all this good, uh, what I thought was good, this empowerment, this courage, this boldness. And I fought that for years and years, you know, uh, alcohol and cocaine. I remember um, always somewhere along the way someone would come into my life and I'd go back to church for a little while. Never reading the Bible, never understand any kind of relationship, but I tried to follow the, the law, the you know, Ten Commandments. Follow. And what I, what I expected out of, out of uh, you know, God was to stop cussing, live right, and stay out of trouble. Never pursuing a personal relationship. I didn't even understand what they meant by that. So my drug abuse and everything got worse. I got married when I was about 26. I had a son when I think I was like 27. This is roughly, I remember being married for seven years. I was a, I won't say a horrible husband, but I'd always end up somewhere along the way. I would end up doing drinking. I'd end up drinking. You know, I might go two months, three months, six months. I remember trying to pursue God with my first marriage for my wife not to go to church and me to fail, fall back on my face, fall back to my old ways. So then it got to where I'd drink and I'd do cocaine. And when I'd do cocaine, I'd be suicidal. I would, it would just suck the life right out of me. And I remember uh, swearing, I'd never, I'm never gonna do this stuff ever again. Never, how could I possibly ever do this again? Only to, within a month, two, six, be drunk, whacked on coke. I guess somewhere in the 90s, I say 96, maybe 98, I tried to take my life. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick and tired of giving in back into the alcohol that always led me to the cocaine. I was sick and tired of having to do cocaine to come off the alcohol. and I mean, be too drunk and then be too high on coke to drink. So it was just like this big old mess. I'm sitting at my table. I called my brother-in-law and I told him, I said, dude, I'm tired of living. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had a Glock 22. There goes those words again. I'm tired. I'm tired. Yes. Yep. Tired. I really wanted to end it because I was so disgusted that I would keep going back to this madness. I mean, how could a guy like me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the pack, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm no idiot. I'm kind of a strong-willed. How could this stuff keep overpowering me? So I, I called him and said, I'm going to end it. And I had a Glock 22, which is a 40 caliber, in my mouth, ready, cocked, loaded, just crying, crying, and crying. And my brother-in-law shows up. I set it down. He said, man, what are you doing? I says, man, I'm sick. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of promising I'm never going to do it again. I'm sick of going back and doing this over and over. I have nothing to live for. And by this time, my wife had left. You know, she got tired of it. I forgot the, that part. She she had enough. Thank God I was never abusive to my children and and my, my first wife. I say physically abusive. I mean, I was abusive, you know, because it was all about me. Mm-hmm. I was a bullheaded, one-way, selfish, ignorant, stubborn man. I don't blame her for leaving. He takes me to a rehab, and um, I willingly go, and um, I'll never forget I go in there, 
had just enough money. There was Charter back then. That was the name of the mm-hmm. place, uh, the rehab. Yeah. And then, and I get in there, and they tell me it's fifteen hundred dollars a day. I'm like, I had a really good auto repair shop going on, um, but when she left, come home to the house empty, and I'd be um, lonely and. The room's all painted with Orlando Magic, and the rooms are empty, so it just drive my drinking and my drugging. Uh, end up in the rehab, $1,500 a, a day. I had like $7,000 still left out of the however much I blew in six months, like probably 90 grand. They said, we'll give you a discount because it's cash, so they said, you can you got 10 days. So I'm thinking, okay. And um, I start taking it serious. You know, this is several group sessions every day and I remember like the second day I'm in there these guys are laughing and clowning and I looked at him I just stood up I said man don't you get it this is life or death for some of us this is uh and it's you know pretty expensive you know it's costing me seven thousand dollars I said how much it costing you and they said oh I got insurance well and I said how many times you've been here they, oh it's my third time I said some of us ain't got two or three times I said so you better chill out bro because I got to get this right or we're gonna have a problem Oh man, I'm sorry. And I took it really serious. I'll never forget my 10th day was on a Friday, which was Halloween, which was a day I did not want to get out of there. Because Halloween, drinking, Friday night, drinking. And I begged them, let me stay till Monday. They says, No, you're ready, Mr. Reagan. You're ready. And I was thinking, Is it because of the money or was I really ready? Thank God, even back then, he had his hand on me. Um, I look back over my life, I see where God just was always there. I mean, always. Absolutely. You know, when when times I'd be like, where are you? And now I see he had me. Mm -hmm. My sister, I call my sister, but she lives out in Eustis. And she says, I says, can I come stay with you? She says, sure. Went out there and stayed two weeks. Left there, still was able to salvage my shop. It took a lot of hard work. Pulled that out. But I stayed sober and clean for 22 months. Then I met this other girl. We got married. I started drinking again. And then someone introduced me to crystal meth. Oh. This guy gives me, I'm drinking beer, and he says, try some of this. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And he says, he called it crank. And he says, here, just let me put enough that's about the size of a match in your beer. I was like, there ain't no way that could do anything, man. So he took a little knife and just a little bit of powder and just dropped it in my beer. And I was, man, I stayed up for another two days. I was like, wow, this is the answer. That's what I remember thinking, this is the answer. Mm -hmm. Call him, hey man, I need a little bit more of that stuff. Man, I'm working. I got to where I was working 12, 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week, making mad money, had a repair shop, flipped it around, blowing up, shop's going well, everything's good. So all my friends that I knew were on cocaine, I was like, okay, I'm going to help him get off cocaine. This is the answer. And I believed it. I believe why God uses me so well with this is because I believed the lie so well. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Mm-hmm. Now that I know it is an absolute lie, he could use that because I could explain it to the people how much of a lie it was. So my theory is I'm going to get my friends off the uh, cocaine and I can buy enough to where I could sell it to them and get mine for free you know I'm a businessman I'm thinking okay how can I make this work so they're getting off the cocaine you know instead of spending 50 to two three hundred dollars a night they're spending a hundred dollars a week 
I think I'm doing something good for these guys. Yeah, you're a hero. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the next next step up was uh, you know I'm working these long hours making all kind of money. Well, if I buy a little bit more and sell it, I can make a couple dollars and get mine for free. So in a matter of about 18 months after that, I went from having a successful repair shop to full-time drug dealer. Ugh. You know, uh, I got to the point where I wasn't working nowhere near as much, and I'm selling a you know a good bit of uh, crystal meth, and then less work, more meth, and then next thing you know, I'm not working at all. I have guys at the shop, no no supervision, no management, so that thing goes down the tubes, close the shop. I'm a full-time drug dealer now, and it didn't just happen overnight. I you know it wasn't like I just made this decision. It just sucked me right in the mm-hmm. lie. You know, I'm dealing crystal meth. Then I meet this woman that I'm selling crystal meth to. Well, I, it's it's crazy. I met an old friend. I'm downtown uh, Orlando, partying. It's like four in the morning, and I'm high as a kite, doing ecstasy and all this because I just lost my shop. You know, uh, crying in my, uh, you know, crying the blues. I lost the shop, but you know, and I remember for a good almost two months, just every night, I wouldn't come home till six, seven o'clock. I'd go to the clubs and then go to the after hour clubs and cyber zone and all that madness. And um, I remember being downtown, I don't remember why, and I'm walking through a parking deck and I see this guy, and I haven't seen this guy in probably 25, 30 years from my childhood. And I look out of corner of my corner of my eyes and it, his name just comes straight to Jimbo. And I didn't want to, you know, I, Normally I wouldn't care, but I just said I'm not gonna say it in case it ain't him, you know, because I'm plowed. He looked, he looked like he is pretty whack too. And I says, um, Jimbo, and he turns around and he, he says, Isaac. I say, Hey man, what are you doing? And right away, you know, what are you doing up this late? What are you doing up this late? I says, uh, You don't do meth, do you? And he says, No. Why do you? I says, Maybe. He says, I might. Anyhow, next he was. So I started selling him crystal meth, and um, his roommate, he, she was a career, career woman, worked for the state. I won't say her name, but uh, she worked for the state and um, had a successful career. Been with him, been with the uh, state of Florida for 16 years. Through our dealings, I ended up coming over to his house, and she absolutely hated me. She seen me. What is he doing here? I'm like. What are you talking about? I'm selling you drugs. This is for you. And you're making me feel like, you know, and I told him, I said, I'll never come over here again. I said, she's going to look down at me like I'm some scumbag and I'm selling you the garbage. Shortly after that, he would call me when he wanted some stuff. Well, it got to the point to where I didn't know this, but he was wanting to stop, try to quit doing it. He was trying to stop doing the dope. And I would get a page and I'd call him. And she would be egging him to get somebody. He wouldn't do it because he's trying to quit. Well, I would call him, and he'd be like, "Hey, man, what's up?" I say, "Hey, man, no, no, what's going on?" So I say, "Well, what do you need?" So he would buy some, and he's wondering how would I know that he was trying to quit? But she wanted anyhow. She was paging me with his number, uh-huh. and we found this after six months that he's not paging me because he would say why'd you call me i'm like what do you mean you paged me and we finally figured it out it was kind of crazy as i laugh about it now but um that was his roommate then he moved out and she got a hold of me so i'd start selling her you know crystal meth and um i remember coming over one time 
and says she wants me to come over her house and help her do some painting or whatever. I was like, okay, whatever. Well, I was buying it from a guy who was making it, and I had no interest whatsoever in making this crap. Well, she gets, I get over there, because it was, you know, it was homemade, when I say homemade, um, it wasn't your average, you know, wherever people get it, you could tell that someone made this, but he was, it was extremely good, He's, he was a, a chemist, he was very good. She's thinking I'm making it, so she's bringing me over to her house to teach her how. And I says, I don't make it. Well, between the two of us in probably six months, we learned how to make crystal meth. Then the madness really began. Hmm. Now I'm a drug dealer and I'm a drug manufacturer. Really, this went crazy. So I'm living with this woman. We have a meth lab in her house. Pretty much lived in it, a 25 to life situation every day. You know, and I could tell you, I could go into chaotic, crazy stuff that would happen. I, I mean, I was never loyal to anybody. I wasn't even loyal to myself, let alone anybody else. <laughs> And uh, to this day, she knows that now. But um, back then, I told her, I says I was incapable of loving or loyalty or commitment. Matter of fact, until recently, I didn't really understand what commitment exactly was. Well, I say recently, past five years, being committed, being loyal, having integrity. So me and her ended up, we was together for, I'm going to say, a year. I'm cheating on her like crazy, and she knows it. So we break up. Well, no, she says she's pregnant. I said, there ain't no way you're pregnant. If you're pregnant, and I said all kind of poison. If it, you're pregnant, it's not mine, or you're just saying that to keep me around. And I mean, I just said some horrible, horrible things. Back then, I, every day I said horrible stuff. Every day I was a, I was a monster. I was a bad guy. Um, carried a gun everywhere I went. Always had $5,000 worth of drugs on me. Everything from pills to meth to whatever. So I leave her. I move over by the Florida Mall. I remember having a little meth lab going there. And I get a phone call one afternoon that I should have already been home. A friend of mine says, don't go home. The DEA, the U.S. Marshal, the whole street's shut down, hazmat. I've, man, my heart just sunk. I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. So I go on the run. You want to run and go up to Tennessee, try things up there, being a meth cook up there, living in buildings, and you know, just wherever someone put you up so you can make them dope. And it was just a mess. It was a, a nightmare. So I moved back here, start making my garbage here. I remember having this one guy help me. The day that helped me cook my stuff, he didn't show up. Later on, I found out he got busted and there was a $2,500 reward. Now the U.S. Marshals and the DEA had been chasing me for probably four or five years, quite several years. I remember going by my dad's house and I would never call my dad. I'd just stop in, let him know I'm alive. He would always say, son, you gotta get this behind you. You know, you, you gotta stop this. Cause they'd come by his house about once a month. Your, your son's poison is pe poisoning people. He's dangerous and we're gonna get him. And I remember getting so mad they're saying, I'm, man, why are they telling you this? You know, I ain't doing nothing. Da, da. And in my mind, I thought I wasn't, you know, if I don't sell it, someone else will. Now I see that, you know what, I wasn't only poisoning people, I was poisoning their children. You know, I take uh, uh, responsibility for what I did, knowing it now. I wasn't, anything I did to sell to somebody, it, 
had a little bloodline that followed down you know that it was affecting mm-hmm. you know their 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 jobs their wives yeah, their absolutely you know i took responsibility when, when but i get so furious that they would say i'm dangerous tell my dad i'm dangerous man i wanted to this guy wanted to punch him in his mouth yeah. if i seen him now i want to hug his neck because he was right he was absolutely right this guy they had a 2500 dollars reward for me they tried to get me twice matter of fact two people tried and i don't know how it just didn't happen i'm out in bushnell florida u.s marshals dea was told if this white car is here he's there now just so happens i just got back because i had the guy's motorcycle that lived there now had it been an hour or two earlier i wouldn't have been there so it would have been the same scenario kick in the door slam me on the ground put a shotgun in my back and a nine millimeter to my head and they was begging me just move please move we are so sick of you you know we've been chasing you and you you know you're just they every name in the book mm-hmm. they're just and i felt this and they were really want, they wanted to shoot me they was hoping so they get me up put me in handcuffs it was crazy they set me on the steps of this trailer out in the middle of bushnell florida and man this meth lab when, when you didn't have to be you could have been oblivious to the fact of a meth lab and walked in and says wow this is a meth lab i mean all the beakers and all the chemicals you could smell it it was right. obvious mm-hmm. and they were ecstatic because they knew that they've seen these little labs that these guys got i was a real real serious guy uh figured if i was going to get in trouble i'm gonna make sure i make a lot because if you do a little bit or you make a lot same Something. charge and so i was making quarter pound at a shot which is a I've met guys that's made the little gram and they're in for 10 years and I'm making you know four ounces <laughs> go big or go and they're they were all high five and man we got this guy and look at man look go in there and look and I, I'm just humiliated because these guys are like rejoicing and I'm in handcuffs and I remember that was the absolute darkest day of my life compared to my mother leaving compared to my father abandoning me compared to anything that's happened in my life I'm on those steps and I've never, I never wanted to die in a fire burning to death, and I never wanted to drown. And I said, I'm gonna take off and let them shoot me. And I was mustering up the courage, I was gonna take off running. It had just stormed like two days and there's a canal around the back. And I says, man, knowing my luck, I'm gonna trip, fall, and drown, because I'm in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do it. That absolute darkest day of my life turned out to be the absolute greatest day of my life. Hands down, that was the day God broke me. He broke me, I was at the end of me, I was at the end of my friends, I was at the end of the money. Anything that I had, I was at the end. There's nothing that anybody could do to help me. And I remember uh, the first month or two, I'm in, in jail, I'm not used to being locked up, and I'm in fights. And I'm angry. Well, actually, the first two weeks I was in there, I slept. These people thought I was dead because I'd been running and doing drugs for so long that I'd get up and eat and go back to bed, get up and eat and go back to bed. And some days I'd just sleep straight through. And they'd come and poke me, hey, man, you alive? And I'm like, yeah, I'm alive. I mean, you know, depressed. Mm-hmm. Your life's over. You know, it's the end. I knew I never dreamed for a minute that I would not spend at least 10 to 20, if not life because they were already chasing me with 45 years in Orlando, the meth lab they hit, with a million dollar bond. And then this charge I just got, I went to, the, you know, you go to court the following day and they're trying to give me 31 years. 
So that's 76 years. Mm-hmm. After about, you know, first couple weeks I'm in there, I'm in a fight, I go to lockdown. Get back out, two weeks later, I'm in a fight, I'm in lockdown. The sergeant of the county jail in Sumter County Jail says, um, I think his name is Sergeant Seegers. He says, Reagan, if you get in one more fight, you will do whatever time you get here, plus whatever prison time in confinement. I promise you. I says, oh, I gotta change. <laughs> so I managed to stay out of trouble for the next, you know, couple, uh, next six months. I remember these people coming to prisons and telling me about Jesus Christ. And I says, I tried him. I've done that. I remember them saying, Lord and Savior. And I says, I've been saved. What's Lord? And they said, manager. They said, this guy wants to manage your life. I says, but I've done that. I says, and it doesn't work. They says, well, but you haven't surrendered and let him handle it. I says, all right, I want to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try it one more time. And, and this guy says, read your Bible. I said, don't make no sense, man. I'm like, it's like Chinese arithmetic to me. He said, just keep reading it. So, and he gave me an a NIV. And he said, read the New Testament. So I started reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And I'm going to church. It's funny, my brother took over my trailer in Bushnell uh, where I was living because where I got rested was another place. He's staying there to keep an eye on everything. Well, next thing you know, I'm in jail. And I look across, and I see this bald-headed guy waving at me. And I'm like, you know, I think he's waving at somebody else. It's my brother's in jail. He got pulled over for a suspended license. Oh, no. Now, I'm in felony pod because I'm with the serious guys. He's over there in misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the? And I said, I put up the thing, go to church tonight. And I wrote on the thing. We go to church. I said, what happened? What's he said, they got me driving on a suspended license. So I, and we both, I started crying. I says, man, because he, he, when I was 18 years old, he'd come by and get me to go to church. He found a godly woman and he quit all of his garbage. I, that's one of, you know, one of the things where I would make an attempt to try to follow Christ. I says, this isn't a shame that God has to bring us to a town that we don't even know. And both of us are in jail just to get us in church. This is pretty pathetic. I said, but hey, man, he's trying to do something. So I says, I'm following this. I'm going to see where this goes. I said, I can't be, I, I, I can't be the man I, I, I've been. I do not want to be this guy that I know I ain't. This, per, this man that I've built up that be somebody was a nobody, and it's a fraud, it's a fake. I did not want to get back out and be where I was because I knew I wasn't going to make it. I knew it wouldn't I'd be back in prison. I started reading the Bible after about six months. I remember taking my Bible and slamming it on my bed. I said, Lord, this don't make no sense. I said, I don't understand this. And he says, pursue me like you used to pursue meth. You'd drive two, three hours to go get some drugs. Pursue me like those girls you used to really think you loved, where you buy them flowers. And he said, pursue me like that. I want you to pursue me. I was like, okay. I picked up the Bible, I read the verse. This is draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Or no, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. Mm -hmm. God says, you're as close to me as you choose to be. I said, wow, this thing spoke to me. It made sense. For the next six months, I'm reading it. Every periodically, I get a revelation. I'm facing court charges. I'm facing my case. And I come across Hebrews 13, 5. And I don't remember 
that scripture, I could tell you scripture, but I don't know where it's at. But it says, uh, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we, he said, me and you can boldly say, the Lord is my leader. Uh, will not fear. What can a man do to me except what God allows? And, I mean, it doesn't say it, but mm-hmm. I don't fear. God says, he didn't tell me what he's going to give me, but he says, don't have fear. He says, if I need you in there, you're going to be in there. He said, you've made your bed. It's up to me where I take you with this. I got a miracle. Due to circumstantial evidence, they were in. I could have beat it, but they gave it. He says, we'll give you time served with three and a half, uh, four and a half years of probation. I said, sign me up. Wow. Sign me up. Wow. After six months of being in there, I said, wow. That's what I said. And I, when I come back into booking, all the, the correctional officers, man, who do you know? I said, what do you mean? He says, there ain't no way. With all the stuff they had on you, how did you get time served? You must be snitching. I says, no, I don't think so. I said, I've been locked down six months. Let me go back. The first three days I was there, the third day I was locked up, they tell me my lawyer's here. I don't have a lawyer. So they get me out of the cell, take me to this room where the lawyers meet. Man, gentleman come in with curly hair. He's smiling. And he's, you know, hey, Mr. Reagan, how you doing? I says, all right, how are you? He says, my name's such and such with the DEA, Department of uh, Drug Enforcement Agency. He says, I don't know if you know how this works. Have you ever heard the term burn three, go free? I said, yeah, I have. He says, you give us three names, you could be home tomorrow. I says, hmm, wow, that's tempting. Yeah, really? I hmm. says, can you give me three days to think about this? He says, sure, I'll be back in three days. And he's just so smiling and happy. And he's mm-hmm. really polite to me, really nice to me. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll see you in three days, Mr. Reagan. Three days later. And I'm thinking, how many people have burned me in this game that I could, won't have no shame or guilt? I could, you know, throw them to the wolves. God says, you did the crime, you do the time. God don't even accept flipping people or, or, or mm-hmm. yeah, betrayal. Right. Wow. You know, you did, you, this is you. And, and and you're gonna and plus he was not wanting me to rely on anybody else to get him get me out of this, but I didn't know that at the time. But he pretty much says, Hey, listen, you know, I, I now I look back where it says, um, I wish you were lukewarm or I mean hot or cold mm-hmm. because you're lukewarm, I spit you out. He's I think he has a has a certain respect for if you're against me, at least you know you're against me and, and I have a little respect for that. But if you're for me, then that's the the bet, better thing. But if you're lukewarm, no one knows and it really makes me sick. So I think he is kind of saying, you know, hey, listen, that's not the right thing to do. I got time served six, uh, four and a half years, six months, four and a half years of probation. Then they transferred from me to Orange County. That was a chaotic mess. My lawyer was a total. It, 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 if I told you the whole story, he kept missing court dates. I, I, I spent six months in there because he never showed up for court. And uh, it was just crazy. So I get there and he's telling me that they don't even have a case on me. And I have a million dollar bond. They're trying to give me 45 years. You know, I'm pursuing God in there, and I'm getting people involved to come to church, trying to, you know, seek this personal relationship that they promised me God wanted. And I'm growing. And, um, you know, I remember the biggest lie I was told in, in prison or being locked up was uh, jailhouse religion. If I didn't do it out here, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and do it in here. You know, I didn't do it on the streets. I'm not going to come in here and get mm-hmm. Jesus. That's an absolute lie. Because if you don't get Jesus while you're in jail, when you have no bills, no rent, no car payment, no work, you have nothing to focus, take your focus away, 
if you get Jesus in there, you might keep him when you go out. But what people do is they get Jesus in there, and, and if you look in book and you see these Bibles, they leave their Bibles there and they walk out, and the devil sucks them right back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The wor- Got that right. Yeah, the world just pulls you right. I mean, I knew that there would be dope in a miniskirt ready to rock and roll when I got out if I didn't have God. You know, it would be some girl, drugs, and the madness. You know, I'm pursuing God while I'm in, in prison, I mean, you know, locked up. I remember, uh, you know, encouraging guys, and, and, and this one guy really encouraged me. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. but going back to the uh, jailhouse religion, if you, if you don't get it in there, you ain't gonna do it out here, because no one wants to be a hypocrite, so they're thinking, well, I didn't do it out there, I'm not gonna do it in here, because that's hypocritical. But that's the, that's the lie that he says, because there is jailhouse religion, but it's not a religion, it's jailhouse relationship. Mm-hmm. If you'll take Christ out and pursue him and follow him when you get out, see, I was proof, because whenever he asked me if I'd take four and a half years of pay, pay, probation, I said, you had to give me an hour to think about this, because everybody told me, you take probation, you, go, you violate, and you go back. And I'm thinking four and a half years, man, I couldn't even do a year, you know, any other time I've had drug charges, I would always get, you know, had to get, go back to jail. God says, if you're gonna follow me, you could do it. I mean, this is the conversation I had inside the, the mm-hmm. booking, waiting for an hour. Mm-hmm. And he says, but if you don't follow me, you know, <laughs> uh, you're in your own hands. I told him, yeah, I'll take it. I was scared, terrified, you know. Then I go to the next county, Orange County, and after six months of the courts and stuff, I, I, said, I told my lawyer, I'm tired of this. Ask them if they'll give me time served because there's always loopholes in the cases because they, they never, like the one house they didn't catch me at, the other house they had a warrant for my arrest but not a warrant to come in the house. So I couldn't really beat it, but I was wore out of being in jail. You know, this is going on a year, over a year. And uh, he says, I'll try. And he went there and told him, hey, would you give him time served and four and a half years of probation? Because they're all thinking, if this guy doesn't get his act together, he's coming back and y'all face the 76 years. Right. And both judges, I remember, looked at me. He says, Mr. Reagan, this is your one chance, your one opportunity. You, you mess this up, you will face the charges and you will see pretty much day for day. So good luck, Mr. Reagan. I want to tell him I ain't got luck. I'm following this guy, Jesus, but I, I wasn't real strong in it then. Mm-hmm. He comes back and says, they're going to give you time, sir. Four and a half years of probation. So there's putting the odds on that I was going to screw up. Right. Then I then they transferred me to uh, Osceola County. I go there, I'm there a few months, and then I get released. Once I got out of there, I, you know, my shallow, short perception, what I wanted from God now was to do what's right, do what's good, become a productive part of society again, and go to church and have a just a normal life. I didn't think about serving. I, didn't, I just wanted to go to church, read my Bible, have my nice little thing, co- 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 uh, comfortable relationship with God, and work and no more trouble. Boy, that wasn't his plan. <laughs> I get out. This lady that I couldn't live with my mom because where she lived, she couldn't have nobody else living there with uh, the trailer park. And, and my brother let me stay with him for a couple of weeks, and his wife. I was so depressed, you know, uh, sleeping because I, you know, just work, thinking about job and everything. I was just kind of bummed out at first. Um, the lady that used to live next door to me that made her son go to church to where when I went there and got saved, 
she said, you come stay with me for a month or so and work with us. That turned out, I stayed there almost a year. I was going to church with her, you know, and it got to be, you know, I'd wake up thinking that I didn't sleep good, trying to make excuses not to go, but I'd always go. And then God told me one morning, says, won't you make every excuse not to go? Because every time I'd not want to go and I'd go, I'd get something I really needed. So I got to the point where, you know what, it wasn't going to keep me from going to church. Then I stepped up and asked if uh, they needed someone to drive the church bus. I said, I'll drive it. My friends later on that knowed me, that I used to sell drugs to, that, that's a whole other story. So I started driving the church bus, picking up the kids. They all know my testimony. All their parents knew my testimony. And they were all right with it because, you know, this has been a couple of years ago. And um you know, really fit into the church. They welcomed me, and I started driving the church bus, and I started working on the church bus, and then I started teaching a little uh, Bible study, you know, and it started kind of growing. And then this Miss Judy says, you need to go to prison and tell your story. I said, I made a promise with God and myself. I ain't never going back to prison. No way. I didn't want to hear it. I said, nope. And she wore on me for quite a while. You need to do it. You should do it. I said, Miss Judy, I, uh, that's not for me. Because she was doing a little, a little bit. Now, God could have called the big one and said, hey, you owe me to do this. Mm-hmm. He says, mm-hmm. that woman gave you a place to stay. She's been good to you. You owe it to her to go once. I said, okay, Lord. And I told Miss Judy, I said, I'm going once. Once I'm done doing it, she promised she won't bother me again. She said, I'll never bother you again if you go once. I says, okay, I'll do it. And I, my intention was to go once, get out of there and say, leave me alone. I'm done. I fell in love with it. I absolutely, without a doubt, know that's my calling. Uh, the gift of communication that God's given me. I've always been a leader, usually leading them the wrong way. Always good communicator, talk, I could talk. I went in there, I shared, and they listened. And what a, a beautiful thing to be used of God to help people. It is. The people that, where I was. Five years later, a little over five years later, now I was going in like three or four times a year. Then it got to be six, seven times a year. Then couple ministries we started uh we started it's called born again to ride we have a biker ministry we take our motorcycles in the prisons now i'm one of the leaders for root prison ministries i do all their emceeing where i speak introduce the teammates and and all the guest speakers and whatever we have that come in and i'm born again to ride and also bill glass that's what the first one i did was with bill glass now bill glass is an ex uh, Cleveland Browns football player back from I think the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. He just recently, a couple of years ago, got inducted to the Hall of Fame. He's the Billy Graham of prison ministry. Okay, he's been doing it 40 years. They're worldwide. Well, I was started off going in with them, and this guy Jack Murphy, which Jack Murphy has a story. They made it. He was in prison for 17 years. Uh, he stole the largest sapphire and. Uh, Smithsonian Institute and, and one of the New York things. He was an international jewel thief, international surfer. He was an international uh, violinist. I mean, this guy was world-class everything. He got caught up in some mess back in 60s or 70s. 
no, 70s, and he is facing life, uh, double life. Uh, 2,224 is his parole date. Well, he got out in 1986 or 87 after Bill Glass and him kept coming in for 15 years. And the chaplain, he'd go to chapel for the donuts and coffee. He wasn't wanting to hear about Jesus. And, and the chaplain said, today, if the best, everything you got, money, family, your best, you're wearing a blue uniform, locked up in prison, you need a new manager. You ain't manager of life very well. And that resonated with him. In the last five to seven years he's in prison, man, he'd done amazing things with Kairos and Bill Glass when they'd come in. Mm-hmm. Well, when he got out in 86, he went to work for Bill Glass. Now, keep in mind, this is like 20 years ago. Five years ago when I come on board, uh, so happens a lady from our church, Miss Nancy's a singer for the, the Bill Glass ministry. She's a platform speaker, I mean a platform entertainer. Well, I had went with Miss Nancy and a couple other people and I'm trying to find Miss Nancy. She's in a meeting with all these uh, uh, platform guests, uh, the entertainers and speakers. And I see her and I say, and Jack Murphy goes, hey, you come in here and sit down. I was like, okay, I sit down. I don't know who this guy is. I mean, Miss Nancy looks at me like, wow, he, this guy likes you. <laughs> he don't like too many people. He asked me to help carry some boxes and all this stuff and just put me right to work and we hit it off. And uh, he's the authority he's mr prison since he's been out he's been over 2700 prisons he's a worldwide speaker but um he'd been with bill glass i think 25 years or something i'm not sure the exact thing he uh stepped down as board of directors and starting his ministry that he started when he first got out that he put on the shelf for 25 years mm-hmm. called sun s-o-n shine adventures i, I talked to Jack probably on a weekly or if not every other week basis. And I told him, I says, man, listen, you see that God gave me a heart for this. I says, you're not going to be around. He's 76 years old, but he gets around good. I says, you ain't going to be around forever, man. Someone needs to carry this on. You need to teach somebody everything you know. I says, and God's setting my life up to be where I could do full-time ministry. I says, I minister full-time no matter where I'm at, but I make a living working on cars. I says, but if God... And I, my prayer is, Lord, let me do this full-time. Bless my living to where I could do full-time prison ministry. Well, Jack Murphy, just in the past six months, man, things are big things are happening. He's asked me to, I started speaking for Bill Glass two months ago. Wow. And um, now he's taken over Born Again to Ride because the guy there kind of, you know, kind of fizzled out. But uh, he wants me to start kind of take it by the reins and, 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 this was the original ministry that was birthed out of Bill Glass, but um, lack of management skills for mm-hmm. any out. I love him to sure. this this guy Mike Harrell. He's a heck of a guy, but he's not a leader. He's uh, I told him I told him I said, man, you're rough as a, I mean you're as smooth as a rattlesnake, <laughs> subtle as a rattlesnake. Uh-huh. So, um, but the ministry does what? What do they actually do? Oh, we take our motorcycles into prisons all over the state of Florida. And we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of uh, the res- you know, the changed life. If I think God's called me to do anything, he's, he's called me to, because when people used to say the resurrection, and um, I believe I'm going to get to heaven one day and not understand, because I know this heaven is going to, is going to be a phenomenal, amazing thing. 
But right now, I've set my eyes on the job. I think God's called me to explain the resurrection power, which is resurrection. I used to, what does that mean? It means when you die to yourself and you're resurrected, when you're born again, you're alive. I, when I tell the guys in there, I says, man, the salvation is the extra top uh, icing on the cake is the triple quadruple bonus but what I wanted to hear was can I get out of prison and never go back can I be a productive man that can function without drugs that can be a have a, have a life have a real life and when they told me that this guy wanted to manage my life the Lord Jesus Christ and I surrendered to him I mean, he's in in the past eight years, almost nine years, eight years. Um, I mean, just amazing things. People that knew me before is like, who's this guy? Who's this Jesus you're talking about? Because the first year I was out on probation, they were all making bets. There ain't no way he's gonna make. It. We know Isaac. <laughs> and uh, I'm talking big money. They just make a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand dollar bets because I was selling some, you know, some big time people. After two years, they're like, oh, he got lucky. After three years, wow, man, is he going to make it? And after four years, man, he's what happened? I mean, and then after the four and a half years, they come to me, or I went to them, and um, you know, I'd witnessed them, and, and probably about five or six of my old associates received Christ because they said, "I want what you got." Mm-hmm. I says, "Well, his name's Jesus Christ." I says, "I'm nothing special other than." I'm grateful because I know how messed up I was. And that's why God could use me as a witness. I bought the lie. I believed the lie. I lived the lie. I was sold out on the lie. And then I found it was a lie. Just like I found out that all that time, even though I got saved, and uh, God says, you were saved through all that mess. You was just a disobedient child. You accepted me. You received me. But you never let me be Lord. So I let you be Lord of your life. And you almost managed it. Or I'll let you be the manager, and you almost managed to get life in prison. So in 2005, I surrendered and let him manage my life. And he says, now that you see you were saved through all that mess, man, it makes me even that more grateful. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that poison that I did, and he says you were saved. Wow, what kind of God is that? That I was basically spitting in his face, and he says, I love you. And I, and I come across the verse um, in Hosea where it says, God says he's forever married to the backslider. He says, you was backslidden. Mm-hmm. Even though you was ignorant, I, I was ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't understand a personal relationship. I didn't read the Bible. He brought me to life. I, I, I believe that um, I got saved, but I got really, really born again where, where I, I, I stopped being a little kid. And that's what it was. I was an irresponsible little kid in a man's body, and God started to grow me and, and mature me. And, and he wants to do that with everybody. You know, he don't just say, I'm going to do it for Isaac or, or Mike or Fritz. He says, this is to whosoever. And that's Word the says that's the best way to come to him, though, Yep, like a yeah. child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God revealed to me, um, it says in the Bible, those who fall on the rock will be broken. God says broken can be put back together. He says, but those that the rock falls on will be crushed to powder. Powder is pretty hard to put back together. I mean, mm-hmm. God could do anything. But what I get out of that, what the Holy Spirit tells me, is God wants you broken because you, you, we're all undone. We're all, we're not whole. We're incomplete. Without Christ as the center of your life, you're not a full, complete being. You know, you're, you're a partial. 
And um, apart from him, I could do nothing. And now I'm learning the, the perspective and the, um, the principles that everything's his. And that relieves me of management. Mm-hmm. I'm just a manager with my children, with the money, and I just do what he tells me to do. But going to these prisons, man, what a rewarding, um, can I share one of the stories that just happened recently? Absolutely. I do these prison ministries uh, about a year ago, and I want to say, I estimate, about a year ago I go to CFRC, which is uh, Orange County, correct? I mean, uh, Central Florida Reception Center. It's where all the inmates in this area go through intake before they're distributed to the prisons. Mm-hmm. Well, we did a little yard event, we took our bikes in there, and, and this happens quite often now after doing it for five years. Everywhere I go, pretty much, when I go to a prison, someone comes up to me, hey, remember me in 2008, Moorhaven? Or hey, remember me in 2010, uh, up in Union? Or you know, somebody I've met at a prison, and hey man, your story helped, and uh, you know, this is what God's doing in my life, and it's always some amazing, or something they're going through, that, that, that they're saying I'm holding strong, or if they're, they're slipping, I'll, I'll encourage them. But those are the rewards where I go, and you hear these things. But this one young kid in CFRC heard the message, and uh, he came up to me, and he asked me some questions. We started talking, and I led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. We left there. I'd never seen him again. You know, hoping to, you hope you can see him all again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, 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 it's another day of God's business. About seven, eight months later, Jay from Real, Real Men, mm-hmm. says, hey, man, this young guy just got out of prison and he needs uh, to talk to somebody and maybe you can encourage him. I said, man, give him my number. Or give me his number. So anyhow, I call. No, 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 no. I says, yeah, no problem. Yes, I will. I says, tell him to come to Real Men. You know, because I wanted to meet him before I gave him my number just to, you know, to see what's up. See how, make sure he's serious. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as not serious, but, you know, uh, anyhow, I wanted to meet him. I go that Monday, he's not there. Jay says apparently he's working. I said, all right, no problem. So the following Monday, I call Jay. Jay says he's supposed to be here. He's not there again. So I'm like, okay, well, eventually I'll meet this guy. The following Monday, I'm in line at uh, Real Life getting a coffee, and this guy comes up and says, hey, man, you remember me? I said, man, you look familiar. He says, CFRC about eight months ago. He says, about eight months ago, he says, I heard your testimony, and... uh, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, I want to thank you. So man, don't thank me. I says, man, that's God. Jay comes walking up. Hey, Isaac, have you met Christian? I said, yeah, about eight months ago. This is the guy he's trying to get me to mentor. I already had met him seven, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, ain't, oh wow, ain't that how God works? It is. Yep. Okay, it gets Absolutely. better. So I'm talking to him, and I'd see him every Monday night. See, I, I could feel that he was kind of slipping back. You know, he's young. You know, the girls and drinking. Uh, well, long behold, I get a phone call. No, we show up Monday at a men's group, and his dad says he got arrested. Ugh. He got in some trouble, drinking, no license, da-da-da-da-da-da. And he had a minimum mandatory four more years or something like that, you know, if he violated. So his dad, t- keep me updated, called me one day. Hey, man, could you come to court and speak on his behalf? I says, when? He says, Thursday. I says, I just said I'd be there, and I was thinking, "You got a shop? How are you gonna?" But God made me. I said it, so I says, "Okay, I said it. I got to be there." And God says, "Be there." So I show up. He don't even. He's not even there, and it was more support for his dad. His dad see a man that 
we're telling, hey, we'll be there for you, we'll do this, you know, and I was there. He, we didn't even get to see him, he didn't go to court. So that meant something to his dad. I appreciate you showing up, man, I wish I would. I said, it's all good, bro. He knows, just let him know we were here for him. I go home, he, his dad keeps telling us he's going to court, pray for him, we're all praying for him. A miraculous thing happens, he, everything gets dropped. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, he shows up with a real man, hey, praise the Lord. I kind of put him in a little hug and kind of squoze him and says, walk, let's go over here. I says, hey, listen, man, you no know God ain't playing. And he, he desires you for you to be out. But if you mess with him, you're going to go back to prison. So take it serious. And if you need help, call somebody. These people, we he said, man, I heard you coming. He's crying. You know, he, I heard you. I said, man, don't thank me. And, and don't give me no, this is what God called us to do. And he says, well, I heard you was at court. I says, man, God called me to be at court. So you thank him. Isaac didn't do nothing but go to court. And I says, but I wanted him to understand that God means business. If you're playing with him, you know, he chastens, he chastises, he punishes. Don't make him punish you, I said. Well, last night at men's group, uh, Christian and his dad, Joe, he says, uh, Isaac, my dad wants to get baptized. I said, wow, I figured, I, you know, you're kind of thinking he's already a Christian. But I didn't, you know, that goes back to you never assume anybody's a Christian, right. you know. <laughs> well, I said, Joe, are you, uh, are you saved? He goes, well, yeah. I says, okay, so if you died right now, where are you going? Oh, I don't know. I says, well, then let's find out. Let's seal the deal right now. And all the guys in the group were kind of looking at me like, wow. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just what I do. It's not like as if some people are uncomfortable because they haven't done it, but I'm done it so many times that I'm not going to let this guy get away with it. If if he wants to accept the Lord, he's going to get Jesus Christ tonight. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow because he's saying, "Oh well, I'll do it next week when I get baptized." I says, "No, man." I said, "You might die on the way home. You could have a car accident." I says, "Why wouldn't you want to accept this gift now, a free gift?" But if you don't, I'm not going to twist your arm. But let's if you want to do it, don't wait till tomorrow. And all the guys were kind of like, wow. I was like, man, this is just what I do. And I'm not going to, um, normally you hear the little voice, don't do that. You're going to embarrass yourself. Or you're going to look funny. Or they're going to look at you. Uh, 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 that just goes away because this is about a soul for the Lord. Right. Amen. And um, so I says, I told him, the plan of salvation, you know. You cannot save yourself. And we went into the thing, you know, the whole plan. And I said a prayer. I said, I'm going to tell you the prayer before you say it so you're not getting tricked. So you know exactly what you're going to say. And then I says, do you want to say this prayer? And he says, yeah. So we said the prayer, the sinner's prayer, and he received the Lord Jesus Christ. Bam, another one for the kingdom. Amen. And the other guys are saying, wow, man. I said, man, that's God. That's what Jesus said. I tell you guys, go to these prisons. That is the easiest evangelism you'll ever do because these guys are a captive audience. The guys that don't want to hear it, they ain't coming nowhere near you. But the people that God calls are going to come up, and you're going to learn firsthand what Apostle Paul and them all did evangelism you're mm -hmm. going to tell them the gospel of jesus christ and then you're going to get to share in the rewards of the fruits like me going in the prison man you can't you can't i don't think you get much higher and i used to pay good money to get high on a lot of stuff but when a guy comes up to me and says hey listen man remember me three years ago da 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 da, da. i was at that prison and you gave your testimony and god used you to lead me to him and well let me tell you what's going on my marriage is restored i'm getting out in six months and uh, uh all these and man it's it's all i could do i'm a tough pretty good sized guy for not to sit there and start crying in front of these guys mm -hmm. i'm like praise the lord i had to turn around and wipe some tears man mm -hmm. god is good 
being used to God, man, there's nothing better than there that. There isn't. I mean, you absolutely, like I said, I get high now on the most high. And it's not synthetic, it's not generic, it's not uh, fake, it's a real deal. Mm-hmm. And that's the Holy Spirit that says, hey, you're doing what God called you to do. I only hope that what I'm drawing from you tonight is just that this is no game, that there's a sense of urgency all the time. Why do you, don't wait. You know? Amen. And what well, says today's the day? Yeah, salvation. Absolutely, mm-hmm. man. I, I'm fired up just sitting here. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, if you think about it, um, the devil wants to take what's God's. You know, that's the whole deal. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. I reason with God a lot. I reason. I say, God, you've given me a mouth and you give me this boldness and courage. And I've always been uh, a communicator. I want to use it for you. And I, I reason with God that. If a man is standing at the gates of hell, they can't say, God, you never sent somebody. If he sent me, God's going to say, man, I sent one of my, 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 my hard hitters here, and uh, he done everything but put you in a headlock and make you accept Christ, which I say that as, as facetious. But um, if God opens up the door, I don't want that blood to be on my hands. Right. You know, and I take it right. serious. Absolutely. This walk is serious. This fight's serious. There is an enemy that's real, and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, I remember not long ago, I says, Lord, what does he kill, steal, and destroy? And it's, 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 it, God says it's clear to my heart. He's, he says he wants to steal your joy. And if he steals your joy, then you're going to end up ruining your testimony. So you're going to uh, kill your testimony. No, he wants to steal your joy, destroy your testimony. So he kills the witness. Right. Mm-hmm. If my testimony is not valid because I lost my joy, I got back in the world, my testimony's ruined, so I'm not going to tell nobody. How can I go tell you about Jesus Christ if I'm as messed up as everybody else? Mm-hmm. But like I said, back in the back, all those times I'd make an attempt, I used to think you can get your salvation and lose it. I remember waking up and roll the dice and, oh, no salvation today. You know, too bad yesterday, messed up way too bad, can't be saved today. And I believe that lie. I believe that, you know, I used to think, okay, the more I heard about the Bible, how could you get it again? And then I read, who is going to get ascend into heaven and bring Christ back down and hang him on the cross again? Nobody. He's done it once for all. There is for no condemnation. Mm-hmm. Therefore. The devil's I, best weapon right there. Yes, yes. And he, he, I was deceived. I was de- he deceived me to believe in that lie, the drug lie the lost salvation lie. And I believe that God's uh, really called me in another area is to bring born-again believe, I mean, uh, 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 save people back to repentance, but also back to an understanding. If you're saved, the, the best thing to do, the devil, he can't steal your salvation. So what does he want to do? Make you a, an ineffective witness. Mm-hmm. So if he got you thinking you're unsaved, you're not going to act different. You're going to act like everybody else. Well, I ain't saved. Why shouldn't I get high? I ain't saved. Why shouldn't I do everything everybody else? I'm going to hell. I believe that there, one day we're going to get to heaven. There's going to be a lot of people that didn't think it's going to heaven that's going to heaven. And a lot of people that think they're going that ain't going to be yeah, there. That's right. Because if if you ask me the day before I got arrested, where will you die? Where you go when you die? I would have said, man, God ain't gonna let me in this heaven. I mean, I accepted Christ as Savior, but uh, I've done way too much. I, I'm the lost cause. God, God can't save me mm-hmm. because of my what I did, what I've done, and that was a lie. Mm-hmm. My salvation has nothing That's to right. do with me. 
Now, my choices and my behavior, my 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 foolishness will get me cor- uh, correction and punishment and chastisement. Consequences. Consequences. And I've been to his woodshed. He's had to whack me, and you know, I'm I'm all right with I'll I'll. I'll there's two right. brothers. One says, uh, will you work for me today and cut the field? And he says, yeah, and he didn't show. And the other brother says, no, I'm not. And he went and done it. Well, I'm the one who says, yes, sir, I'm going to do it, and I go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, this. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You didn't do the time for nothing, did you, brother? No, sir. Yeah. That was the best 18 months. It seemed like forever for me because I had never been locked up. I, I, I look back now, I was a spoiled man. Even though I was raised poor, I was youngest of six, but – Man, I didn't want to be locked up. I didn't. Want my, I wanted my way. I had to be out there, and I had to be involved in, in the middle of the mess. And God had to love me so much to get me out of the mess, to to shine His light and well, shine to, me up. He had to kill you. Kill me. Mm-hmm. Had to die. He had to he kill had to the old lock guy. You up. And the other old guy. Listen, I'll be honest. That old guy. He loves. He's in there working out, and he's just like, let me out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But, um, and, and 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 you know, there, I still have real struggles. I still, man, I'm oh, still yeah. a real man in a real world with a real Absolutely. devil. God revealed to me: keep your ego and your pride in check. Mm-hmm. So, anytime anybody says, "Man, I'm proud of you," I'll say, "I'm proud of him." Or you got to be, you got to take some credit. I say, "No, I take credit for surrendering, and this is all his handiwork. This is the promise that he promised me, and promises you a new creature." So anytime everybody pats me on the back, I'm doing this because I'm not going to take none of it. This is all his. Mm-hmm. The glory is his uh, through his son. Uh, I remember praying, and the guy told me, that when you pray, pray uh, pray your prayer and then ask everything in Jesus' name. And ever since I started asking in Jesus' name, inevitably everything has changed from that day on. You know, I used to pray to God, Lord, you know, I mean what I say and I pray in Jesus' name and everything's changed. And that's the promise. He said, you become a new creature. That's the evidence. I know there's, if, if only if I believe something, like when I believe the lie about the drugs, I could tell you, hey man, this is the stuff, that garbage, you know, this is, and I could, you know, and I don't like to use the term selling, but I, I could um, preach the gospel because it's infallible proof of my life. You know, there's certain things like like being loyal to a woman. I'm loyal to my wife. I've been with her uh, I, since I committed to her. That This is mind-boggling for me because most girl, guy with all the girls and the money and the stuff mm-hmm. wins. I boast that I've been loyal to my wife for four years or four or five, however long it's been since I committed to her. That's mind-boggling for me. I could perceive maybe one day never doing drugs again, maybe if I was 80, 90 years old and, you know, but being loyal to a woman, that that was never taught to me, you know? Mm-hmm. All I heard, my brothers, man, I'm, I got four uh, four brothers, and they were all older, and get the girls, get the girls, get the girls. And, man, why? I got one that loves me. I got a great wife. She loves me. She's good. She puts up with me in spite of me, you know? <laughs> wow. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Wow, what a testimony. What a testimony that was. Thank you, Isaac. Yeah, really. Hey, man, you've got all the glory. It's about Jesus. Amen. You know, and I I bear witness with that because, and I think that's when you truly realize there has been a a legitimate heart change. 
I think, is when you truly want to acknowledge that God has, has done it. Anytime we ask somebody to come on the show or something like that, very careful not to say our podcast or, or my show. radio show or right. my podcast. It's always God Stories Radio. Right. Will you come on God Stories Radio? Because it is his. Mm-hmm. It's his gig. He just chose us to be the stewards of it. Amen. Just a powerful testimony. I, I, if there's anybody out there that's listening that may have any questions that uh, Isaac can elaborate on, any anybody that's uh, could be incarcerated right now that's hearing this mm-hmm. um, if you have any questions for Isaac uh, drop us a note at godstoriesradio at gmail.com and we'll get them to Isaac can, he can answer your questions um, directly and or if they've recently been released you know if they have some questions and I, that's what I do help people that's right. what I, that's I tell what my daughters uh, we, we pray every morning with me and my daughters and my wife and we say Lord bless us to be a blessing and uh, if you ask my daughters, what am I? They say, my dad's a helper. They'll, my daughter's four and my other daughter's nine. And uh, sometimes that you know, career day or whatever, uh, what does your daddy do? Well, he, he goes to prison. <laughs> and uh, my little one says, he goes to prison, tells them boys to be good and tells them about Jesus. They would have never got that. Nope. That's but, right. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll be able to check out Isaac's testimony on uh, GodStoriesRadio.com. It'll be out next week. And we just appreciate you tuning in. Just uh, hope you have a great week in Christ. We have a new country listener from Germany. Germany. Germany checked week. into God okay. Stories Radio. Nice. So it keeps, uh, keeps growing. Yes, it does. Well, that about wraps it up for Session 19 of God Stories Radio. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And God bless. God bless. Yes.